From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Danny Bethay. You have seen their work all over the internet. They were one of the editor-in-chiefs of the We Are Horror magazine, and they are an active contributor to the mental health and horror documentary, Cinespeak, Studies in the Fantastic, and more. Welcome to the show. Hi! Thank you both for having me, Terry and Mary B. It's great to be here. Thanks yeah, for thanks being for joining here. us. We're we're really excited to chat with you. I've been wanting to get you on for for some time now, and this just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And boy, I cannot wait to talk about the movie that we're going to talk about. But before we do, let's take it back to the very beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? I love this story because it usually involves my parents. So my parents were avid, you know, horror sci fi people. 
And they introduced me to like a lot of the classics. So when I say classics, things from their childhood. So they were born in the 50s. Mm. So they got like everything obviously that came before and everything that came after. So them also Mm. being young people in the 80s, they introduced or at least they opened that door to like all the good stuff that the 80s had to offer. So that was like my first probably gateway. And then after that, obviously... Anything and everything that was like on TV, VHS, yeah. <laughs> was was fair game for the most part. Uh, were your parents very lax when it came to allowing you to watch um, all sorts of horror? Or were they, did they get stricter or anything like that? Or where is it free game? I don't really remember them kind of saying that XYZ you cannot watch. Okay. I don't know. I don't remember. You know, the only show I kind of explicitly remember my parents saying you were not allowed to watch was the simpsons oh okay interesting and maybe because it was animated and mm. it had like adult humor like really adult mm. humor sometimes that they were like wait a minute this is animated and you know they shouldn't be watching this but like other horror movies were okay <laughs> <laughs> so i don't i don't know i don't know parental logic <laughs> i don't know <laughs> do you remember yeah. the first horror movie you ever saw gosh that is a really difficult question. I think maybe the Universal Classics, maybe okay. like all of the Universal Classics, mm-hmm. and or like some of the old like B movies, like them, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Probably because obviously, like for my parents, that's like what they grew up with yeah. as right. kids, and obviously, whenever like Turner Classics. Like Monster Fest would roll around and like Monster Vision would roll around, so on and so forth. Like that's that's kind of what I remember. And I specifically like remember those like being seminal pieces of like horror media, like every October that were like a must watch. I cleared my schedule. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then and just like, you know, fell into a completely different world. So yeah, Universal Monster movies. Those were that was my introduction to horror too. My my dad was obsessed with those old nineteen thirties, nineteen forties, you know, black and white horror movies, and that that was like what got me introduced to horror. Um, do you remember like the first time that you saw, um, or like maybe a more? Because like I can always, I, I guess what I'm what I'm thinking about is I I could like think about my childhood in terms of like the movies that my parents grew up with vice the mm. movies of like the eighties. Do you remember like that first movie that was like different from what your parents like maybe introduced you to or what you, your parents grew up on? So I was born in 1990. So I was born okay. at like probably the perfect yeah. moment where like I got all the good stuff from the eighties mm. and then like all the good stuff from the nineties. So I don't think I was bereft of any horror content, but no. like, um, obviously the nineties was like this new avenue, right? So mm-hmm. I noticed you have the Candyman shirt on. Oh, so yeah. like Candyman, like we got some really great um well, it traumatized me, arachnophobia that came out the year I was born. Why? <laughs> that movie. That movie. <laughs> I love and i hate that movie at the same time <laughs> oh i hate it i absolutely yeah. hate that movie yeah, no, Terry as i've that. said on the podcast before it's like it's not that it, it did not give me arachnophobia it just gave me more reasons to be afraid of spiders that part that part so it just kind of cemented for me like forevermore that i would um despise spiders for the rest of my life <laughs> see connection i'm i'm right yeah. there with you yeah it was too much and then you know the big giant 
which I loved. Okay, I loved it and I hated it because I'm a huge fan of like robotics and animatronics and all the things that go into making some of these spectacle horror movies. So I had that giant, you know, robotic, humongous mommy spider like in the basement. Yeah. And I was just like, woo, but like, woo. In a, in a, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, it's like a thrill ride, but like, I want to get off thrill ride. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I love it and I hate it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I do. So. Except I'm more of them that just want to hate it. I never want to watch that movie ever again type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, of course, we had all of our kind of subliminal feet, uh, horror movies that were really starting to take horror like in a in a different direction. And, you know, um, being a lot smarter and more savvy, mm-hmm. um, being a little bit more um, psychological. And then obviously, of course, in the 2000s, we had 9-11. That changed everything else after that. So, yeah. yeah. So you said you were born in 1990. What a, what a time to, like, mm-hmm. grow up with horror movies. Because I know that you're, you were pretty similar with that, Mary Beth. Yeah. At, in terms of, like, that, that decade. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. What do you, people usually say things like, oh, well, the 90s, like, the not the 90s, but the early 2000s. I still think that the early 2000s had some decent things to give us in terms of horror movies. Maybe not the, yeah, it had maybe a few, not the best, but important. <laughs> it had, a, it had a few gems sprinkled in it's there. It had a few gems. Yeah, but I understand what people are talking about because, like we mentioned, like, that 9-11 period was, like, this demarcation of mm-hmm. like where horror could like get away with a lot of things and just be explicit and violent and so on and so forth. But like, there was like that kind of whole, at least about a decade or so that people were like, Ooh, you know, we're not going to like kind of fund good horror movies. We're not going to invest in it. The genre kind of, you know, fell yeah. apart for a while, but we got a lot of, um, what am I trying to say? The, um, a lot of like hostile, yeah, oh, the torture of, porn um, stuff. Yeah, the torture porn yeah. stuff, which is interesting. That has has um overlays with like the war in Iraq mm-hmm. and so on and so on and so on and so on. And so were yeah. you? Yeah. A, that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> were you a scared kid growing up? Like, were you scared easily when you watched horror movies? No, no, not at all. Okay, not at all. I I loved I loved I genuinely genuinely like loved horror movies. Like one, I think I knew. Like, obviously, it wasn't real. Um, okay. There were kind of only a few that would, like, get under my skin. So, like, let's say, like, arachnophobia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, and maybe that was, like, the one, like, number one. I just, I just don't do spiders. So, but anything other than that, because I knew it was, like, you know, suits or prosthetics. And okay. also because I, I really got into, like, the making of behind the scenes. It probably just gave me, like, a, maybe, like, Aww. a little bit more distance maybe distance between the movies yeah okay so i, I was a geek that. i was a geek and a nerd so i was just like ooh, how did they do this how did they do that so yeah no no terror no nightmares like nothing like that wow. so yay i had other things in life to traumatize me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's fair enough okay so as an adult though uh what what draws you to the genre now what draws me now are just like the door that's been like forced open and kicked open by so many different, you know, people in the genre. So like 
all the queer people who are mm-hmm. making horror movies that they always wanted to make, uh, women who always wanted to make horror movies that they wanted to make, like all of the people of color that are making movies like nationally and internationally that they've always wanted to make. Like it's incredible, absolutely incredible. All of the horror like content we've gotten just in the past, like, decade it's yeah. incredible maybe i should say it, maybe about 15 years maybe i'll give it about 15 because like there was like this wave and then like once it started it just seemed like everybody's like horror 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 you know yeah yeah i love that yeah. i i know that you said you didn't get scared as a kid so has that transitioned to adulthood do you are you desensitized are you able to separate yourself from from the horror movie still as an adult i think now that i'm older the commentary that a lot of movies made when I was a kid or mm-hmm. even the ones now, they hit a lot different. Okay. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they hit that kind of more mature adult part of you that gives you like that existential like dread and like doom and nihilism about <laughs> the world even more. <laughs> so Yeah. There's a lot of things to be afraid of as an adult. What was the last movie you remember like really having that effect on you? What have I watched recently? I've watched master okay i've yeah. watched titan i've watched um there's so many i've had to catch up on um i caught up on some black mirror yeah so a lot of those are like doom and gloom has, <laughs> or is there or, like anything that's really gotten under your skin that like has stuck out in your head though even if it's like not from like it's from like last 10 years or so i know something that's a mixture of gotten under my skin but also really intrigued me are i know horror movies have always kind of done this as far as storytelling but like where does the kind of line begin and end between like human and animal and human and like machine and stuff like that so okay i noticed we're getting a lot of movies like that lately like some i've even got to catch up on like um there's that one movie i think it's called lamb where (laughs) yeah yeah where like there's a half goat child born (laughs) and then like i heard at the end of the movie like goat dad shows up and like (laughs) is like a half human half goat anthropomorphic thing and then um i know titan was like this half half human woman half machine um there's been a lot more like half human like half demon movies obviously Mm. like hereditary like there's been like this really interesting oh candy man is another example human supernatural spirit yeah you know other world so like there's been like this really huge kind of uptick and you know maybe it's just the new kids on the block right that are having an opportunity to explore some of these things but like in a more modern way you know what i mean yeah we have seen a whole lot more of that sort of like transhuman uh monster animal Mm -hmm. something kind of pursuit it's it's interesting i haven't even really thought about that but you're right there's been a lot or like even not even not even with that but like even jumbo i don't know if you saw that uh i think it came out like last year where a woman falls in love with a ferris wheel uh or mm, not even a ferris no, wheel it's, it's like, like a, a like it's a jumbotron of, yeah it's a weird wheel that, carnival ride thing it's a mm. lot of interesting and that that's a really good queer movie by the way uh it's like uses it to explore like marginalization and stuff. But regardless, there's been a lot of that. And I hadn't even really thought about that until you just brought that up. Well, <laughs> I'm, huh. I'm glad somehow the, the tether is there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what made me think of it, but maybe it was Titan's director doing two similar movies back to back where, mm. you know, obviously raw was this exploration where 
this, you know, human girl, but also she's very um, lupine, like yeah, very, very feral. Wolf, yeah, very wolf-like, you know what I mean? So like humans tipping over like into this other, I don't know, this kind of otherness. And then obviously her second film, you know, like exploring, you know, this kind of othered, I don't know. Our I think babies. I'm going to write, I think I'm going to, I'm going to write this out. I've got like some notes somewhere <laughs> yeah. where where I'm going to just like make a through line or maybe like Please a do. thread or something. Please do. Well, okay. You mentioned <laughs> writing. Let's talk about you as a writer. Have you always <laughs> wanted mm-hmm. to be a writer? Has that always been something that you have been interested in doing? In the, not, I guess not in the traditional sense. Like obviously you kind of grow and change as you get older. But I know when I was really young, I really loved like creative writing, like fiction mm-hmm. and darn the public school system. But, you know, obviously you get, you know, kind of pigeonholed, like write like this and mm-hmm. write like yeah. that. And in college, I had a little bit more flexibility, but not much. Um, like I, um, in my master's program, I did like a lot of environmental studies and stuff like that and gender and women and sexuality in my master's program so there was tons of overlap and I got to really kind of dig in even more to a topic that is actually like quite horrific on both ends so tons of environmental horror history and then like tons of like gender women sexuality like horror history legislation so on and so forth so both of which we're seeing a lot more of horror with like in the last year yeah. alone we've seen uh on festivals or releases a whole lot of environmental horror going on mm-hmm. and of course like the big kind of it's almost become a trope over the last i don't know seven eight years has been mm-hmm. you know women not being listened to or like the idea of like the i'm using some quotations listeners hysterical woman or something like that like that has become like a huge trend in horror i think recently absolutely it never went away <laughs> no you know it didn't but it seems like yeah it seems like it's really increased a lot uh since mm. Trump was elected. Uh-oh, dun dun dun. <laughs> but you know but like we always talk about like horror is political. Like yeah. horror is a you know canary in the coal mine of what's going on like societally like all the time. Like you can yep. pick up your horror movies and whatever's going on in the world is like right there. You can see all those kind of concerns and anxieties just playing out in front of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have such a, a such a cool background, in all different subjects. How did you kind of f- find yourself writing more about horror movies specifically? Uh, burnout, <laughs> burnout <Woo>! from school. <laughs> Yay! So burnout yeah. from school. <laughs> Getting your master's degree—it's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was an exhausting journey, but like that burnout, like gave me the opportunity to be like, woo, I can finally write what I want to write. Mm. I can finally just kind of have the freedom to explore all the stuff I always wanted to write about, yeah. but didn't know how to go about it. So I just kind of found like a little corner on the internet and just started kind of writing. And then, you know, some gaming, like a gaming magazine picked me up and, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of get my my feet wet as it were and kind of learn about this whole writing for the internet kind of thing. So like, I, I think I had maybe missed what maybe some people who had been on the internet a little longer, if they were writing and blogging and stuff, if they had, you know, that greater introduction. So I kind of just had to wing it and (laughs) 
just by happenstance, people on the internet started finding it, reading it. Um, I don't know how the internet algorithms work, how that even happens. I have no clue. I have no idea. But yeah, um, I think one of the biggest people that ever gave one of my pieces like a humongous boost was um, Ashley Blackwell. Oh, yeah. Um, So she was, yeah, Professor Blackwell was like one of the first and it was like my Candyman piece before Candyman even came out. And like ever since then, it's kind of been like full steam ahead. Hell yeah! So love to see that. You said burnout obviously got you writing, but mm-hmm. was, was there like a movie that you? Was there a movie that one day you saw and like I have to write about this? That kind of like clicked in your head about connecting the two. You know, my very first piece, <laughs> Terry might remember. I I did an expansion of for Gaily Dreadful, but um, it was how I saw this through line with um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And get out and um, the skeleton key and oh, how like these narratives. Yeah. So these narratives that really explored how the creature or the other or whatever, as far as like the body snatching narrative and how black bodies were undesirable or like the alien would never like assimilate into like anyone non white like the alien somehow knew or it was like at least this kind of undercurrent in these movies. You know, and how one series of genre film, like, so, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was exploring how the alien didn't really want anything to do with non-white bodies, the thing, similarly, um, but how that also that type of genre making can be subverted with, like, get, you know, with, um, like, the skeleton key, where it was a white body this time that was going to be, like, the vehicle for these Black people that you know, had survived, you know, uh, slavery and Jim Crow and were like probably hundreds of years or at least about 100, 200 years old by this point and had been like body swapping for however long these bodies could be used. And um, obviously the most recent being like get out with, Mm -hmm. you know, a narrative that kind of tied right, wrapped back around to the beginning with this body snatching narrative and like how it shows up in movies, what to kind of look out for, how, like, like I mentioned, how the genre can be subverted. Yeah. Um, and like kind of how, how insidious it is, um, how horrific, how it's got all these undertones of horror to it. Um, and it's just like also even kind of like, I don't know, like horror humor even that, I could see maybe happening in a scary movie where the demon comes or the alien comes and they're just like, who to possess or who to take over? And they're like, Ooh, not you. Like, (laughs) you know, you're already in danger here. Or like, Oh no, bad choice. Keep, keep moving. (laughs) You know? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's also so it's sobering, but it's also like just something. It's just something that, you know, because human hands wrote this movie that maybe intentionally or unintentionally had this like commentary in there, you know? So it's a thing. That was, and that was my, that was my first piece where I guess I can say thank you to university for that, for helping <laughs> culture, me being able to like have my, my theory tinfoil hat board on with strings where all of this stuff is interconnected. Yeah. So Thanks. Yeah. Where did you get your masters? So I went to, um, 
Appalachian State. Um, it's up in the mountains of uh, North Carolina. Oh, what was that like? Uh, beautiful, great, <laughs> cool. nice, quiet. Hell yeah. Um, that, that, that sounds serene. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually really was. Like, I, I had always wanted to go. Um, when I first had been applying for schools in my undergrad, um, the pool is so small. Like, they obviously have to have so many students that can, like, matriculate up there at a time, right. mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I just like, I said, well, maybe one day and then like master's time came up and I said, well, let me apply, I guess. Let me try. <laughs> and, um, lo and behold, Hell yeah. That's I awesome. got in. So, mm-hmm. well, Danny, you've chatted about your <laughs> horror history and your horror mm-hmm. work. What movie did you bring with you today for us to talk about that scarred you for life? I brought a classique who framed Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. From 19... <laughs> yes, from 1988. All right, y'all. So for those of you unfamiliar, here is a brief synopsis of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, a tune-hating detective is a cartoon rabbit's only hope to prove his innocence when he is accused of murder. All right, Danny. Yeah. So... Tell us your Scarred for Life story. Why is this the movie that you chose to talk about on this here podcast? Okay, so, um, young me, putting in the VHS tape, um, said, oh, okay, cartoons. I love cartoons. This is gonna be a blast. And, and, you know, it was like, wait a minute, Disney characters, Warner Brothers characters, Fleischer Brothers, Betty Boop. Okay, let's go. And, you know, watching it for the story, the cartoons, the humans, I guess. And then Judge Doom appeared. Judge Doom. <laughs> a wild Judge Doom appeared. <laughs> Pokemon, right? Um, yep, I'm with you. And completely made it... Okay, yeah, completely made it a horror film. Completely. Just, just completely, as soon as they showed up, killing shoes, boiling them to death... <laughs> That moment, even watching it as an adult, is, like, horrifying. Yeah, yeah. And then turning around with this red, rosiny glove. Right? <laughs> it looks like it's dripping blood. Like, it's so yeah. red. It only escalated from there. So, Wait, so my, okay, my thought here is, what, mm-hmm. does, it, what does touching a tune feel like? And <laughs> That is a very... What happens when it melts? Oh, like I okay okay look I get I know what happens when it melts. Why did my voice go that way? I don't quite understand. <laughs> but um, but like, what is what is on your hand? Like, what is it's not like it's not blood. It's not flesh. Like, what? Is, <laughs> I have so many logistical questions about what a tune is. <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> you know, I can only think of it like in terms of when the cartoon was made. So. I guess, like, if it was, they like, say, like, the black and whites, I guess just traditional, maybe, like, inkwell ink, you know? And then the other ones... Okay, okay, that makes once sense. Once the other ones, like, that have more sense. color, maybe, like, different kinds of chemical components. But, yeah, that is really horrific to think about. <laughs> like, I mean, really, it is, It is. I think it is literally the ink, the leftover ink that is on his, his hand because the okay. shoe was, the shoe was red. So like, I think, I think it is literally like everything, it literally dissolved and what, the ink that was left is what is on his hand, which is horrifying to think about. But then, 
okay, I'm sorry. I have so many questions about this fucking movie. And the thing, you have, obviously, like, the only way you can kill a tune is you put them in the dip, right? That was, like, the thing. Is that how you yeah, make them laugh to death, okay. apparently. I was going to say, because I thought they said just the dip, and then all the weasels laugh to death. And I'm like, what is the truth? Like, what is the truth? What is the truth here? And especially with them dying, their little bodies, like just little ghosts. And again, I know it's a movie about car. I know it's a dumb. I know. I get it. But I just have so many logistical world building questions about all of this works. Is there only a tune heaven? Is there also a human heaven? (laughs) But like real, real talk though. Like what are the rules? You know, I don't know. They're like. Are there anything akin to like the Asimov's laws of robotics or something? Humans, humans, <laughs> like ro- cartoons shall not blank. Cartoons shall not hurt humans. Cartoons shall not drop pianos on humans. Like <laughs> on humans' heads. So I, I thought I had never seen this movie when you picked it. Like I knew of it, and but I was like, I'd never seen it. I logged it on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. and then when I started watching it, I was like. Oh, I remember this opening sequence with the cartoon, mm-hmm. like the you have like the standard kind of Looney Tunes opening, and then I remembered like the hyena woman that Bob Hoskins runs into towards the end, and I was like, Lena, I think her yes. name is. I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I still could not tell you if I actually saw this movie or I just saw clips of it. I still have no fucking idea how I saw this movie, like what happened, but I think the mm-hmm. thing. That prevented me from watching this when I was younger, when I like when I could have been more aware of it, was I think the idea of the cartoon and the human world coming together freaked me out. Like Space Jam freaked me mm. out like that too. I think I was like very unnerved by the two worlds colliding because they're so different. And I think this movie once again tapped into that part of my brain where I'm like, yes, I could suspend all logic or my brain could work. 20 times harder to try to understand the rules of having those yeah. these two dimensions combined. I could, I could see how it would be unnerving or horrific for somebody that, you know, just doesn't like cartoons or thinks they're a little odd or whatever. Like, this movie could kind of flip that Uncanny Valley switch. It's so weird because I love car. I've always loved cartoons. I loved cartoons as a kid so it was so weird that like for some but i guess maybe seeing them with people made them even scarier to me like i feel like when they're in the cartoon world it all makes more sense but then like you have roger rabbit next to a human mm-hmm. and you're like there's something very nightmarish about all of this like <laughs> yeah i don't yeah. i don't want it at all i don't it's so weird because i love cartoons and i still love like animated series and stuff but it's wild so i'm, I'm- I'm curious, though, Danny. So you had said earlier that, like, you know, you didn't get scared a lot at movies. So what was it about this movie, do you think, that, like, just, like, tweaked that switch in your head? I know it was the probably, um, you might have heard this phrase before, but, like, big-lipped alligator moment when Judge Doom is finally revealed for whatever they are. And, like, the... Vo- the voice and the noise <laughs> when i killed your brother and i just yeah it was this. i think that, that moment i think it was just too it was too much <laughs> i think that was like before because you know human scary human i was like okay i'm kind of okay with those but like and not knowing like what they were or if they were going to transform into something else. And I was just like, please, please let this Eldritch Horror stop, please. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Roger Rabbit, Cosmic yeah. Horror. 
It really yeah. is, though. I don't think it's that. Yeah, I think oh, when he when <laughs> I remember nothing of Judge Doom, even when I started remembering parts of this movie. When he stands up, when he's flat, that yeah, is that, that is that <laughs> the the effect, the uncurling of the body, and like that no. whole scene of him getting run over by no. the steamroller, getting flattened, the noises he's making, <laughs> like just like. It, the most insane, like, tune and human noises combined in, like, this horrific thing. And then, yes, he stands up and it is unnatural. There is no way anyone should ever look like that. And he is just bouncing around as, like, paper-thin body. It's, yeah. it's horrifying. Is anyone else ever terrified of getting run over by a steamroller as a child? Did anyone else have that fear in their heads at all? Only me? I did after this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. And Austin Powers, there's a oh, scene yeah. where they run someone over with a steamroller, and I was. Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Move! Move! The last thing for forever. Uh. <laughs> but that, I was just like convinced I was going to get run over by a steamroller. So in watching a, like this movie, I was like, oh, a throwback to a the throwback. weird, irrational fears. <laughs> that I had as a kid. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe this movie was the start of it and I just couldn't remember it and now it's all coming together. Yeah, and this this movie also Who knows? made me have like a it was like the first movie that made me think, oh my gosh, someone can hate their own kind. Can be like right? Be yeah. be oh, be one yeah. but like hate all the others. I'm like, wait a minute, but you're a tune, right? But you want to destroy and like assimilate like i didn't really necessarily have the verbiage for this then but i was like but wait a minute that's so funny because i i went when i was watching this today and i was i was like i think 10 minutes in and i said to my fiance this is like about class and race yes. right and he's like yeah actually you're right because he hadn't watched it in a while he's like wait yeah uh-huh there's a lot of weird racial dynamics going mm-hmm. on in this movie but it's tunes and it's like uh-huh fascinating yeah it's got all those layers in there like especially when judge doom is giving that big speech it just like hit me like in the gut like how many communities have been like literally steamrolled bulldozed through like just thinking about san francisco alone like it used to have like a lot more you know black people that live there a lot more like Mm -hmm. i guess i mean i guess they're like rich some rich gay people that can afford like certain areas but like it used to be just like way more diverse than it is now before like tech took it over you know what i mean yeah and i it was it was weird because I was, I was watching this movie too and i probably haven't seen this and i'm i, I want to talk about my first time mm. watching this movie in a minute but i want to continue with this 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 thought process because when i watched this i it, it probably been the first time in a very 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 long time and i'm sitting here going Okay, so we're talking about the freeway mm-hmm. and that we want to build the freeway. And I'm like, that that is a loaded mm-hmm. thing in LA mm-hmm. because, you know, back in 1956, they started routing freeways directly through and purposely a lot of times through black and brown communities mm-hmm. in order to um, destroy them and, and like compartmentalize and segregate mm-hmm. and and create these different areas. And I'm watching Toontown as it's been like isolated off from the rest of you know, the rest of LA and he wants to literally bulldoze it and literally wipe it out of existence with dip, like literally erase it that it ever existed in the first place. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm putting this together and this is like, wow, I never realized that this is kind of what the movie is about. 
Yeah, that horror through line. So like rewatching it, actually, I just rewatched it today <laughs> um, <laughs> just to be fresh, right, for our conversation. Mm-hmm. But I remember all of that stuff from childhood. So that's the sign of a really good movie that I remember all of that like undertone, but like now being older and having even greater context because this is still happening. This is like gentrification is still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, redline, like the effects and the history of redlining is still happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all this yep. overarching theme. And especially when he gives this speech, I could just hear some CEO, some capitalistic, you know, individual, some billionaire, whatever. You know, like saying the same exact words. I'm like, I know this was supposed to be set in the 1940s, but literally it's just like the script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the be- uh-huh. the billionaire script. Well, and there's another, there was a part at the very beginning that made me think about this because it's when Eddie is at the, um, not, what the fuck is his name? Monsoon? Maroon. 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 Uh, Maroon. Yeah. Monsoon is... He's in his office and Dumbo knocks on the window mm-hmm. and he goes, we pay them peanuts. And he throws peanuts out the window. And I'm like, oh, there's some like weird labor exploitation here, though, yeah. about not paying the tunes enough and having them come on and do things for free because they can't die. They can't feel pain as much. And they you don't have to pay them a yeah. lot. And I was I immediately was like, oh, wow, this is a much smarter movie than I think I ever gave a credit for. And like just the first opening couple of minutes. Yeah, I picked up on that, too. Like how like now, especially like how exploitative the whole system mm-hmm. like was depending on let's say like we're probably we're probably going to get into the Jessica Rabbit stuff soon. But like depending on how you're drawn, <laughs> what's your valuable economy is like obviously let's say like Betty Boop has been kind of you know put on the shelf because she's the older Jessica Rabbit. She's the old, she's black right? and white. She's selling you know, she's cigarettes. Not... Walking around the bar with a tray of cigarettes. <laughs> boop, boop, right. When she's yeah. literally a queen, an icon, like a legend. Icon. Right? A legend in in animation and like just, you know, psh, forgotten. And they bring on the the new one that is, of course, you know, obviously drawn by a man. That's like thin waist, huge, you know, thin breasts, waist. Like it's just like, like a triangle <laughs> meeting another triangle. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is like the Barbie doll's a Barbie doll like form, yeah. right? And it, so it's like it's you have that replacing the the old because they're not sexy enough. You know, they're not in color. They're not this. They're not that. So out with the old and with the new. It's uh. There's a lot about that with, with in terms of like labor exploitation and, and your worth of your body, how much your body is worth in commod in, um as a commodity yeah, in this. Like, well, think about Roger Rabbit and not like how much p- shit he's putting himself through to like get to make people laugh, like yeah. slapstick comedy mm-hmm. and the, ex- the physical expense and like you know they don't go into it as much because like oh tunes have weird physical like physicality is weird for tunes, but at the mm-hmm. same time it's like still rings true of when you hear of actors now doing things and like Brendan Fraser ruining his body mm-hmm. for entertainment and a lot of people losing their lives for that in front of the camera. So it's like, yeah, it's funny. Them yelling cartoon, at him because but... he doesn't have birds yeah. or was yeah, it birds they, they around his ears? They wanted oh, stars and stars, he just kept like right. getting all these different yeah. things around his head as if he, cause he couldn't get what they wanted. I'm like, at the end of the day, does it, does it really matter? But he's going through so much pain to please them. Yeah, And thinking about like this world, I can only assume that maybe, I don't know how it works. Okay, I'm with Mary Beth on this one. I don't know how it works. <laughs> that it seems like they're not 
hand-drawn? I don't know. That maybe once they're hand-drawn, they come to life and like that's the long and short of it. They like dust their hands off and they're alive now. But I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. It just seems I don't know. The way this Is it a SpongeBob magic pencil situation yes, here? Like I'm... a doodle bob scenario? Like are we having a pencil that you draw and it pops out? Like where where's the summoning circle? <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's it I don't know. It it just gives you just so much layers of horror once you really start thinking really thinking i want an edgy crime drama where it's in that that tunnel between toontown and la and it's the la it's the la cops and the toontown cops coming together to solve a a murder in both toontown and la i think that would be an incredible sequel yeah it's not really cops here it's more just like a an idiot rabbit but i think i think some other movies tried to either capitalize or like at the same time tried to do that blurring between the human tune world like what was that one ralph bakshi movie was it a ralph bakshi movie um it had like brad pitt and um oh monkey shine well mon- monkey bones monkey bone monkey? was monkey bone was one and then there's another one i'm thinking of cool world that was in 92 oh cool and I world think he was a- brad Wait, pitt right steve, uh, was that brad pitt yes um steve was literally just talking about this to me today he's like oh yeah it's like that movie where brad pitt falls in love with the cartoon lady <laughs> i was like what 1992 yeah mm-hmm. cool world. so like it seemed like others tried but it you know they didn't seem to you know, because obviously Monkey Bone and Cool World were like adult, like marketed movies where this one kind of straddled a line a little bit. Like they tried to get that PG. And I think this is still when the rating system was different. So like PG, quote unquote, audience. Yeah, this being PG. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's weird watching it now and being like, they, Boy, did they stretch that rating really far. But I, I do think that this was, was this, this was PG-13? Did, was that in existence at this point? I, I can't remember. I don't know. I can't remember when that switch happened. If it was in the late 80s or the 90s. I can't remember. I I think it would have been changed by 88. Hmm. I think. Okay, so there were complaints about Goran films such as Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and the Temple of Doom and Gremlins. And so the PG-13 rating was introduced in 1984. Oh, okay. So it's surprising yeah. <laughs> that this movie did not get a PG-13 rating, hmm. to be perfectly honest. Because, like, the language in this film, the double entendres are quite fierce, particularly with the cigar chomping baby. Yeah, that part. Well, but I also was like, is this a kid's movie or an adult movie? You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, obviously you have, like, the Looney Tunes and Disney characters and stuff, but it just feels so inherently adult in what it is and the topics it's hitting. Like, I guess it's hard for me to, I've never seen it as a kid's movie. Like even when I was a kid, I didn't think of it as a kid's movie, even with the animated stuff. So I don't know. What did you guys, like what have you thought of this movie in terms of like adult for adults, aimed more at adults and more Mm -hmm. kids? I, I just, thought back to my animated like history like the fact that animated you know um cartoons and shorts and stuff initially were for adults or had adult humor were um before like your main feature whatever at the at the cinema and like a lot of that you know either it had you know sex like 
sexual innuendos in it. It had directly adult humor. It had stuff that was more for adults. So I'm thinking about this movie, obviously probably tapping into that, that obviously, I guess in 88. So I guess those that were, I guess maybe our parents' generation, probably like this would have been immediately like recognizable to them. And I guess our grandparents, you know? Um, So, yeah, true. I mean, I, I saw this, if it came out in 88, I probably saw this when I was eight because I was born in 81. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't see it in the movie theater. No, I, wait, I did see this in the movie theater. I just had a memory. I do remember seeing this in the movie theater oh, now. Wow. So I was probably seven. I was probably seven when I, when, when I saw this. Wow. Like I, I just, I generally, I just all of a sudden had this memory of sitting in the theater and seeing that opening cartoon with baby Herman. Mm. Um, I have. This movie gave me some weird connotations um, <laughs> that like have lingered in my head since I was a kid. <laughs> the when because I mean the, you know what I love about this movie now as an adult is that this is a noir through and mm-hmm. through. Like this follows all of the, the the steps of noir, and I want to dig into that a little bit more deeply, maybe. Um, but when Valiant is going to get photographs of Jessica Rabbit and whoever she has been having hanky panky with, right? They're trying to get illicit photographs of her and some man, right? And so they do, and they're photographing it, and all we hear is patty cake, patty cake. And I'm a kid. I've played patty cake. And I would ask my parents, I have this memory of asking my parents, like, what is going on? Why is this why is this a problem? And them being like, don't worry about it. This was that's for adults. And I was like, wait, is patty cake inappropriate? Because, like, yeah. I would, you know, you'd patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. Like, I would do that on the schoolyards. Yeah. And I was like, is this? Because, like, my parents didn't want to talk about it. And I knew in my head, anytime my parents didn't want to talk about something, it was something adult and inappropriate. And adult and inappropriate meant something that I had to close my eyes for. Because mm-hmm. my parents would let me watch a lot of R-rated movies, especially when I was, a, when I was around this age. They got a little bit more... Um, strict afterwards, but anytime there was like nudity, I had to close yeah, my yeah, eyes. Yeah, no nudity. That's right. For parents, yep. I forgot. So anytime, anytime there was like any kind of nudity, it didn't matter if it was violence or whatever, I could watch it. But I was very, and I was very self um, censoring. I would be because I wanted to watch these movies. So I would sit there, even when my parents weren't there, and close my eyes and not watch the movie. And so there was a connotation in my head mm-hmm. that what they were doing was inappropriate and that I shouldn't be watching it. And so I've had like a weird thing with patty cake <laughs> ever since this movie came out thinking that it's something like patty cake is sex patty cake is sex patty cake is sex like in my head since i saw this probably as a seven or eight year old yeah like it's it's it kind of i guess we'll start to delve into like what is intimate for cartoons versus i guess humans i suppose you know All what right. I mean? It, yeah, Mary Beth. So, <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. I texted Terry today while I was watching this. Oh boy, a simple text. Uh-oh. What do you think Roger <laughs> Rabbit's dick is like? Because this movie is so obsessed with sexual <laughs> activities of Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit, and it's a nightmare. <laughs> it is a nightmare because all I could think about was Roger Rabbit having sex. And that's all I can't think about. Like, you know, I guess the, the, <laughs> the silver lining is for people who identify as Arrow or Ace, like this movie really kind of hit them and like how two people can have a relationship, 
but it being mm. based on something completely being based or founded in something completely different. You know what I mean? Like them, like respecting each other as individuals, them seeing like the, like the beauty in each other. Like, you know, she thought he was like really courageous and brave, but also like hilarious. Like I remember even at the end of the movie, she said, Oh honey, that was brilliant. Like you were funnier than goofy. Like, you know what I mean? So like, and I love like now that a lot of people claim like Jessica Rabbit is like this, like, first like ace like icon and like all the like i actually didn't oh. know that i never knew that i didn't you yeah. claimed her as an ace icon so it's out there it's out there i don't i don't know what you'd even google maybe just jessica rabbit like asexual or arrow or whatever <gasps> but like some people have and maybe even her color scheme a little bit i don't know but like just the fact that their relationship was you know what I mean? Like, so atypical mm-hmm. that obviously immediately people think like, oh, it's, you know, like, wait a minute, you know, sexual, blah, 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 that like, that the relationship could be founded on something like pure than that. Well, I don't know, not that sexual relationships aren't pure, but like a different kind of way to build right. a relationship and a marriage and everything else that I love that even, you know, he was broken hearted at first but he was like no i know jessica loves me like what we have is is real and like they fought for each other as like as we mm-hmm. saw in the movie that like actively jessica rabbit was like you know trying to make sure he was okay and safe and you know like it was actually really different than a lot of movies you know that we get in you know, obviously, I guess there's that kind of anthropomorphic component to it that he's obviously a rabbit. Well, okay. He's a human <laughs> that's cartoon. The, woman. That's the other thing. <laughs> and that is what Terry and I were also talking about, where it's like, what's the species? Okay. Your reading is so much more. I like, love it. It's so, so much better than my horrifically horny look at it. I am so uh-huh. sorry. Like, her as, like, their relationship as, like, more like an a like arrow ace kind of like representation is way better than me being like i don't understand how a woman a cartoon woman and a cartoon rabbit have a sexual relationship um (laughs) but yeah also the difference between like humans in our sense humans in the cartoon sense and then animals in the toon sense and like is there a hierarchy here of species is it not weird when you're a cartoon is there love between toons and humans once again, I just want to know all of the details of how this world works. Uh-huh. I need all of I like I like lore a lot and I need to know all of the details. <laughs> yeah, like it and it really kind of made me have a little bit of flashbacks how there were like these inter sometimes animal relationships that we watched as kids, like two different yeah. an, two different animals being in a relationship, sometimes a human and a animal-ish person mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah goofy movie like yeah oh, yeah goofy has a dog what does that yes! mean like why how does goofy yes! have a pet dog <laughs> well and i've talked about i've talked about this on the podcast before but like uh i mean i i do think that there was some sexualization of cartoon of anamorphic cartoon animals i remember being as a kid before i really understood my sexuality, thinking that Robin Hood, the Disney Robin Hood character, was handsome. We talked about, uh, we we talked on the podcast before Secret of Nim, and I thought Justin the Rat was incredibly handsome. Like there is, I, there is a, a time in like the eighties and the and the late seventies, to that matter, where like there was kind of a rise in these anamorph anamorphic creatures that are like 
hot. And it continued on into like uh, Zootopia. Is isn't that, is mm-hmm, that what it's called? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The char- I can't remember his name, but the character that just that Jason oh, Bateman Nick? played. Nick the yeah, Fox. The yeah. Nick, and then Who's, Judy Rabbit cool. with her with her like curves and shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so oh my I, in my mind, I'm watching that. I'm watching this, and I'm I'm just I'm putting the two together. And I also was curious how how their relationship. I mean, you know, it could. I I love. I say this, but I am so happy that you're able to bring up the Arrow Ace aspect of it because, like, I never I never really even thought about that before, and it actually makes more sense because the he's so upset when he sees his wife playing patty cake, which again in my childhood mind is associated with sex, but is really just a a thing, right? Yeah. It's like not a it's not a harmless childhood game. Yeah, like I guess like a bonding a bonding thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I could only imagine so many different things that we would think are childish, but for them are like so pure and like innocent that like to have somebody right. else maybe desecrate, you know, yeah. something like that sweet, you know. And I get it. I was like, RK Maroon, really? Back me, dude? Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry, Jessica. I'm sorry. You were put in that position. I'm yeah. so sorry. <laughs> so, okay. The other thing that like has been ingrained in my head since I was a kid was, I think, I, and I want to go back to this, because his transformation into a tune. Oh, God. We're back to it. We're back. <laughs> I, yes, because this is the thing oh, that has had his more so than patty cake has been stuck in my head ever since I saw this as a kid. Mm -hmm. Now I, again, I must've seen this when I was seven or eight, which is around the same time I I started watching R rated horror movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this movie, I would refuse to watch this part. When he gets run over, first of all, the horrific sounds that he's making is he's getting run over and then when he is standing up and it's all of a sudden this uncanny valley of like, what is going on? He's a human, but he humans do not move like that. Humans cannot be flat like that. And then he blows himself up with air and all of a sudden he doesn't look human. It's like the when, the model of them when he's blowing him up is not a human person. Yeah. And so there's the uncanny valley of that. And then he turns around and his eyes, his eyes pop out and he turns around and all you see is this human body with like these tune eyes that are going spinning and going wild and popping out of his yeah. head. For some reason, that combination of the, the cartoon and the human freaked me the fuck out to the point that I was like, I can't, I can't handle this. I cannot yeah. handle this. And I would hide behind my couch when this part happened. Yeah. Like this movie was a trip down memory lane where I recalled vividly where a lot of stuff we used to watch as kids. So like your Disney movies or um, your Don Bluth movies would just mm-hmm. have a horrific turn. Just sometimes yeah. out of nowhere, sometimes just a single scene with like, let's say like Pinocchio with the changing into the mm. donkeys or Oh that yeah Oh god like <laughs> there uh, or just like I don't know um uh Ichabod you know Crane with the headless horseman like there were so many animated movies that would just be like la 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 cartoon and then dun 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 <laughs> now we're going run- to traumatize yes! you that would just take this turn. That would just be like, <laughs> we're in the horror lane now, and we're not stopping. Mm-hmm. We're not stopping until the movie's over. So, yeah, it was. It was. It's on the list where it just is one of those movies that takes a turn, and you're not ready for it. 
And I think that's what it is no. too. Like you don't have any warning. It just happens. Yeah. And I, I totally like even watching it now, aside from the moment when they kick over the dip and it go, it pours toward him and he like backs up earlier in the film, there's really no indication that he is not just a horrific human. Yeah. Right. There's like none of that. And it's that I think it's that moment. It's still every single time it happens. It's like this surprising like, oh, this is well, first of all, it's a great twist. But second of all, it's just like this is absolutely horrifying. Yeah. Well, it's so fucked, too, because Danny talks about this, about how he hates Toon so much that he's willing to basically commit genocide on the yes. entire Toon population left in the area. Like he's going to just <laughs> melt them all with all of that juice. Like you're going to. Yeah, you're going to commit genocide. <laughs> yeah. Like. With like a big, so. big, big vat of like super duper yeah. nail polish remover. Like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like cooked up by a bunch of weird laughing weasels. Yeah. That- and like before that, that little, it was very short, but he was like, you remember what happened to like the hyenas before you, they laughed themselves to death too. And I was just like, Oh yes. no, I love hyenas. I hate that. That, <laughs> that they went out that way. And then we have Lena, the hyena. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but something I will say, I, this movie is gorgeous. Like even oh, yeah. today, oh. it mm-hmm. stands up so well in how people and cartoons are interacting with one, with one another. Mm-hmm. In such an interesting kind of organic is not the right word, but it feels like the right word because it's like it doesn't it doesn't feel fake. It's weird. They do they get so seamless in how they're having mm-hmm. the character like all of these characters interact with one another regardless of medium, and even like having like Bob Hoskins holding a cartoon gun like a animated gun and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they really are playing with how the mediums interact, not just like an oh we're standing next to each other, but like I'm running into things, holding things, kissing things, like Bob Hoskins is in Toontown entirely at one point. And I think I was really impressed with how gorgeous this movie holds up from 1988. Yeah. And even with the few, um, you know, kind of locations outside of um, Toontown. So like, just even like the area, like the cafe, um, the trolley line, you know, just kind yeah. of seeing this little corner of like San-, San Francisco and the Bay Area at that time. I was, I'm always impressed whenever movies do like a little period or, or like a period piece to get all of those like nuances, like just right and the setting and the cars and the clothes. And yeah, it's always, it's always impressive. Very, very impressive. Well, and I, I what I was thinking about this, it, watching this as an adult is like, I, I'm very vocal about how I I dislike uh, modern blockbusters use of CG because it doesn't mm. it doesn't feel like their people are acting against anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like what they're they're CGing into the scene is actually really there. Mm. there it has no presence. Whereas this movie understands um, dynamics in terms of it feels it, everything feels very three dimensional. The the way everything is shot feels three dimensional. The way the characters are interacting with each mm-hmm. other feels natural. I mean, aside from the fact that it's obviously a cartoon, they feel like they are real things that are there and people are people in the real world, real props are interacting with them. I love the scene where um, Roger Abbott takes the plates and he's like stuck in a loop and he's banging them on his head. Mm -hmm. It looks so real. Or the moment when Valentine is is trying to hide Roger Abbott in the sink of water, Mm -hmm. the the whole scene, it feels it it has um, 
presence in a way that a lot of modern blockbusters that are using similar techniques in here where they're, you know, uh, have like CG to put in the background or they're CGing in creatures or monsters that people are interacting with. It has the same kind of interactions, but it feels more real here. And I also think it's really ironic that this is directed by Robert Zemeckis, who would go on to make the horrifying Polar Express Ah! and really just go down the rabbit hole of like really bad computer graphics whereas like he mastered it and i listen i love some of his movies but really his career trajectory with incorporating animation whether it's computer or Mm hand-drawn in movies has kind of gone downhill since this movie (laughs) yeah i can't remember if it was robert zemeckis or i think another person attached to this movie who said um i'll sign on i'll put my capital behind it this will be a, a launch pad for me. And I think it was the person who went on to make, what was it? The Something in the Tailor. It was another animated movie that like had been in production like hell for years and years. Um, and even it was like not completely finished and like his career like kind of fizzled out. Oh. Um, but yeah, those who I guess were on the up and up got like the good side of this. Cause this movie was incredibly expensive to make like very expensive. Oh, really? right. Like the budget kind of kept going up more and more and more and more, because like you said, all of this stuff costs to like, make sure that everything was perfect. Every single scene, making sure that like the rotoscoping, like technology, mm-hmm. you know, and even kind of going back to basics with some really clever, things that they used to do in old Hollywood movies and cartoons and like having to even sometimes create brand new, you know, technologies. So like this movie got like very expensive, but thank goodness it made its money back and then some. So yay. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I love this movie so much and rewatching it just like brought back all of those, those memories. Yeah. But I do want to, let's talk about, okay. I want to talk about the noir aspect in particular, the way that I think this, this movie kind of subverts mm-hmm. the noir tropes in some ways, mm-hmm. because I love, I love Jessica rabbit because mm. she's like, you know, that whole, she's a femme fatale. Let's be honest. Right. She's oh, yeah. playing that character in noir of a femme fatale. And she says, I'm not bad. I'm just drawn this way. And it's such a, I mean, it's an iconic line, right? But she isn't bad, you know, and she is playing into that character, but everything she does is for a good reason. And she is not, she ends up not being the person that's behind it all or the person that's going to backstab the the detective. She is in fact, saving Valiant at one point and, and shooting the guy behind him. Like this is, this is someone who is, is, is saying that I am this trope, but no, I'm actually not this trope. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that about her. Yeah. The booby trap joke is truly a, I was like, I accept the fact that he did that only because she played into it and had a, bo- and like, obviously they, they made her have the booby trap, but it still made me giggle. Like I, it still worked, but I did like that, that she has like the tiny waist, the beautiful hair, the huge boot. Like she's like very over accentuated figure of what a femme fatale is. And she really is just like a woman who loves her dude and he makes her laugh. And that's all she cares. Like, he can make her genuinely happy, and that is why she loves him. And people, yeah. and I think this happens in a, I think this happens in a lot of comedies where like they make fun of like the hot girl and the guy, and like, what do you see in him? But it's like here, I feel like they play it to a really sweet point of like, y'all think you know what I want because I am so like I look one way and you expect mm-hmm. me to be superficial, but really mm-hmm. all I want is someone who likes me for me, and like we respect, like we mutually respect each other, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah, I know more of that, more of that, and it's like. 
you know, tall, small relationship, you know, it kind of, it kind of hits all of those different, you know, things. And like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, she picks him up and carries him around. I know. <laughs> like there's so many like different aspects of it that I'm just like more and, you know, thinking about it in our modern context, maybe it was like our first gateway that we saw that like, holy crap, like this is like, you know, um, quote unquote queer like relationships, mm-hmm. right? Like seeing these things and like seeing like, oh wow, like how healthy this is and like how much they love each other and like what is attraction really? Like that it's on a spectrum and like right. you're attracted yeah. to what you're attracted to. And like it was just, I don't know, it just, mm, just warm butterfly feels. Plus Kathleen Turner's voice. Yes. Oh man. Um, okay, I also did you guys know this was based on a book? Yes, I did. I only I only knew this because thanks to the lovely people from Horror Queers who who gave me that little slip of information. I'm like, really? This is a book? Hmm. I only knew it after they said it in the credits. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though because uh, the book is so much different than in the movie because Roger Abbott dies in the book. He gets murdered in the very beginning. Oh, no, no way. Isn't it, it's who's erased uh-huh. Roger Rabbit, you said? Who censored. Who censored. Oh. And so he got censored and the only thing that they find at his, at his crime scene was his um his speech balloon. <laughs> oh, wow. Ooh, that is <laughs> kind of it. It's kind of cool, but fucked up, but cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And so some of the characters are the same because uh, he had um, an ex, the ex-widow, Jessica Rabbit, his former co-star, Baby Herman. So, like, there, there are characters that, that are, are reutilized here. But um, And I, I think that, like, it gets really wild in terms of, like, there's a doppelganger for, for Roger. and There's, like, all this other stuff going on. I don't I, – I've not read it. I'm just – I read the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. um, that has, like, a very, you know, snippet. And I was like, this thing just sounds – incredibly wild but yeah roger rabbit gets censored aka murdered in the book wow and thinking about the movie we got instead how much they kept how much they changed Mm -hmm. that obviously the the book is maybe just as dark if not a little darker obviously yeah i'm pretty yeah i'm pretty sure it, it definitely had took a darker tone than um than what we got in the in the movie wow Woo. So in, in the book, the cartoons um, were primarily comic strip characters as opposed to animated cartoon stars. And um, a lot of strip characters made uh, cameo appearances. Dick Tracy, Snoopy, Dagwood, and Blondie, uh, Beetle Bailey, Hagger the Horrible. Mm-hmm. So it was more like comic strip characters than it was like animation. Wow. But uh, yeah. Oh. Wild. Well, that adds, that and, adds a layer. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, you know what? Speaking of Judge Doom, I just remembered this. Okay, before I forget it. Um, thinking about um, movies that didn't scare me in my childhood, but made me be like, woo, what a cool, quote unquote, villain. Okay. Um, when Judge Doom is sinking into the floor, obviously it gave me like the Wicked Witch vibes, right? Yep. So they probably mm-hmm. even used the similar or the same you know, technique about going into like some trapdoor floor or whatever. And it's just like, Hey, Wicked Witch. Nice to see you again. Mm-hmm. Whom I, whom I loved yeah. as a kid, by the way, like I love Judy oh, Garland really? and I, and I love the Wicked Witch, but I was just like, uh, she's cool. Like something about it, like pinged even back then. Yeah. I was like, uh, she's cool. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know, but obviously I know why now, right? <laughs> so Right, right. <laughs> also, th- talking about characters that like aren't as they first appear, mm-hmm. Baby Herman. Oh, oh, Baby oh. Herman. I, what a gross little character, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> the way he like it like just sort of like walks under a woman's, you know, dress when he's storming off the set, or him smacking the butt of the woman that's pushing him around in like the cart. The cart? You mean the baby stroller? <laughs> the baby stroller, that's <laughs> the cart. Yeah. The car. <laughs> but his quote, or his his thing of my problem is I got a fifty year old lost in a three year old dinky. I'm like how did you get away saying this? I was like, someone wrote in a that. PG movie. PG. Yeah. For um, everyone. For the whole family. The whole family. Just... I'm seeing this as an eight-year-old, and I'm like, what's a dinky? <laughs> but I have to remember, too, when I had a flashback that, like, Touchstone and Amblin Entertainment were obviously, like, Spielberg, and then, like, uh, mm-hmm. I think a studio above that where they could do a little bit more, like, adult-ish movies because i know like um sister act came out of touchstone and like some other movies that could have it could be a family movie but it would have like adult stuff but like things that like fly under the radar for the kids you know what i mean that like the kids could be there and be quiet and giggle when necessary but the adults would cackle you know what i mean yeah fair i mean it's also like this was because Disney owned Touchstone mm. at that, or yeah, Touchstone mm-hmm, Pictures mm-hmm. at that time, and then Warner Brothers is also the co-company. I think this is the only time that we have seen Walt Disney and Warner Brothers appearing together on screen. That's kind of wild. Yeah, really? Oh, I guess yeah. so. Huh. That they um they actually had to license the rights from all parties so i think that's why when you see like at the very end of those credits it's like studio 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 and like mm-hmm. and whoever owned the character rights like all stacked up together in those end credits like i can't even imagine like you said like as far as the cost of this movie adding up for them to like yeah. license betty boop license whoever's in the back that sometimes they may not have right. even had a line but like daffy duck and oh my god daffy and donald's epic yes like piano duel well, and I was when I was watching this now, I was, and I was watching it on Disney Plus, and I was just sitting here, I'm like, this is like a 2022 nightmare. Like, this could never happen in 2022. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, like every, like, there would just be too many fights about rights, and obviously, a lot of these characters are original characters. Like, the main characters are original characters, but still, like, there is no way I feel like this would be possible in the year of our Lord 2022, just how litigious all of these companies are now. Well, and the fact that that you have Dumbo in a cartoon where a baby is talking about his dinky. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say that the, have you guys seen the new uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers I've movie? I've heard about it. Not. It's I, I mean it it's not as good as this movie, but like it definitely is doing some similar things in particular um Sonic the Hedgehog, mm-hmm. the ugly Sonic <gasps> is in this. Remember before they like the, before the fan outcry and they no, like redid his serious? CG. Put- ugly Sonic is in this. And he called. He is literally. He's he's selling merch as Ugly Sonic. I saw. Okay, that's kind of is that, in that is, movie. That is kind of incredible. I do. I do love that. I saw that trending online, and I was like, "Why is Sonic or like Ugly Sonic like <laughs> trending? What is going on?" Uh-huh. And that somebody uploaded footage, and I was like, "Ugh, I did not need that. I did not need that." <laughs> It's it's really kind of funny because they keep like lingering on his very yes. human teeth. Like there's a shot of like oh, the camera goes see. in on his teeth and everyone's just like staring at it in like absolute horror. Yeah, like it 
like ugly sonic honestly when i think about it why we're just so repulsed is like if cartoons could age the way humans age like i feel like you know sonic obviously early 80s he'd probably be like what like 30s 40s now maybe knocking on 50 so like yeah he would be like bedraggled and like less (laughs) fluffy and cute you know what i mean so maybe Mm -hmm. that's what it's hitting for you know us like nostalgia people it's just like oh you're like old you know well i also i also do think that there is like like uncanny valley there is a realm between having a cute anamorphic animal that is both has human qualities and is also an animal and something that it looks like you took a human and an animal and like merged it together and it's like animal until it opens its mouth and all of a sudden it has human teeth like i think there's like an uncomfortable level of uncanny valley that we see in there that is the same kind of trauma that i got from doctor from doctor from judge doom with his like human body and his horrible cartoon eyes like it's i think it's that juxtaposition that is just and obviously we have to give like a a ton of praise right to um christopher lloyd's performance he is like a titan of horror that i think we like before you know you know before he passes away we need to like get him on like all the horror horror remembering stuff because i mean he is just like an icon a legend as far as like films are concerned and it's also like what he sells like his physicality completely changes from judge doom because if you think about he's very like almost robotic when he's human like he doesn't move very much or like his turns are very abrupt or very sharp and i just noticed this now i never noticed this before but whenever he's like even standing still or just moving around his cape his little short cape is billowing in the wind I, I, I yeah, never it really is. And it's just like, nobody else has wind. It's like Beyonce. I'm like, nobody else has wind, but you have wind. <laughs> you have a fan, but no one else. Like, and I was just like, huh. So maybe, I don't know if that was like a signal that like he's some kind of otherworldly. I don't know. But <laughs> the point is, the physicality completely changed when he was also more cartoony abomination yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like well eh. and he's a i think he's a very good physical actor because mm-hmm. i mean you think about him being sort of like this very tall gangly very thin mm-hmm. almost like surreally thin mm-hmm. like person and then he would go on to be uncle fester in 1993 right yeah. so it's like oh that's right and and he's more schlubby and he feels like he's like kind of hunched over. Like his physicality and his roles are just, uh, I mean, I think he's an underrated actor. Yeah. He's incredible. Incredible. He really is. I love him. He's really good in Over the Garden Wall. <laughs> he was the oh. voice actor in Over the Garden Wall. Oh, that's awesome. I, I followed him too when I was a kid, like for his voice acting. Like I would know like immediately. Like that was another thing that like I could just pick up when I was a kid. Like, I was a huge like voice acting person that mm. like those voices, they just stand out. Like if you listen for them, they show up like over and over and over yeah. again. So yeah. it probably helped. Like we said, like we grew up on cartoons and a lot of those voices would show up a lot. And before the advent mm-hmm. of the internet, you just had to do the hard work and like research right, yeah. and be like, who was that? Or like watch cartoon specials or PBS <laughs> or, or if like Cartoon Network when they had um, Toon Heads on TV and they had like mm. some other shows that like 
shout out to Ted Turner. Like, thank goodness, I guess, for him who, like, saved a lot of this stuff from, like, falling into kind of, I guess, I don't know, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Falling into obscurity. Yeah. Right. So, like, there's a, you know, obviously it's kind of exploded since then, but I guess that, you know, there's obviously a reason why, like, Cartoon Network, Warner Brothers, what is it, Turner Classic, and everything else that's on that HBO Max platform, that was, like, Mm -hmm. gradually all of Ted Turner's doing, like, gradually acquiring all of this IP before it before it was even like a thing before people even knew that that was even possible you know and lo and behold we have we have what is it like the wwe showing up with scooby-doo oh my god wait really yeah like there's like a couple wwe superstar movies with scooby-doo like it, the, the fact that I'm even saying those words, I know they don't sound like they. <laughs> it doesn't sound like sound a real fake, thing. Like, but it's, it's, it's real. Yeah, like the ramblings of, I don't know, a mad woman. <laughs> but, but I think about even like when we were kids. Remember, we had those crossovers with like what was it, Scooby Doo and such and such meet like Vincent Price or like Scooby Doo mm-hmm. like meets the Harlem Globetrotters or Scooby Doo oh, yeah. meets like yeah. Don Knotts or whatever like they had all of these different like crossovers back then and yeah so it's just like huh so I guess that's not too out of the realm of the ordinary obscure hmm yeah, yeah. so before we uh, we wrap up for for today Watching this as an adult, mm-hmm. does this movie still scare you? Does it bring you back to that childhood fear? Judge Doom, yes, is still unsettling. <laughs> am I as am I as terrified? Sort of, sort mm-hmm. of. I mean, I think maybe the consolation is like, okay, who? Thank God he can be destroyed. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the consolation. Like, okay, you can be vanquished. Thank goodness. But if there was all it takes is dip. Yeah, but if there was nothing, I'd be like, no, I can't, I can't do it with this movie. But it's all of those kind of adult commentary things that, for me, make this movie really chilling. You know what I mean? Upon rewatch mm-hmm. and all of the commentary and how it's very, very greatly interwoven throughout the whole narrative about like changing America. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. it's got it's got so many different kind of layers to it but yeah traumatizing but i guess not in the way that i once was <laughs> scarred for life A different kind of traumatizing scarred for life yes always like those scars <laughs> will never heal you know yeah. so the pain is just too real evanescence you're welcome wow but yeah <gasps> totally like this movie is on one of those that like if i when my nephew gets a little older, I'm like, you watch this. You 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 enjoy this. Watch. <laughs> he's he's four. No, five. He's five now. So I'm just like, will, okay. you be, will you be as terrified of this as I was? I'll be a bad auntie. Maybe I'll be the good auntie that like keeps the horror. I don't know the horror train going. Yeah. I was gonna say I think that is I the, good, the auntie. good auntie. That's me for my cousin. That's the kind of uncle I would be. Yeah. Okay. Yay! I'm glad I have you all support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right terry you're first um how many cigar smoking babies out of five do you give who framed roger rabbit this movie even though i haven't seen it a whole many times since i was a kid honestly kind of going with what you were saying danny i i was the moment judge doom walks on on the scene mm-hmm. i found myself like physically tensing up even as an mm-hmm. adult like that is how that is how lingering 
how lingering the horror was was of this character in my mind and how much mm -hmm. it traumatized me more so than a lot of horror movies that I saw that I saw as a kid I because I, I physically was like why why am I so tense I'm like I had to like you know stop myself and massage my arms because I was I was literally sitting there just bald fist like just tense oh, wow. just the entire it was the weirdest it was the weirdest experience for mm -hmm. me but watching this as an adult, I, I think my appreciation for this movie has grown so much. Just the things that it is tackling mm -hmm. in terms of like historical accuracy. We didn't even really touch on the fact that, uh, yes, there's the, the talk of the, uh, the freeway, but there's also, um, the, the true great American streetcar scandal where, mm. um, a bunch of motor companies, created a dummy company to buy out the red line, the red cars in order to um, get rid of the electricity and put forward um, automobile and diesel fueled engines mm -hmm. to like make more money for themselves. Like this is all pulling from a lot of historical stuff yeah. that I'm um, as a kid way over my head. Obviously mm -hmm. I just was like, huh, this bunny's funny. He's hitting his head over and over again. And there's different things popping out. Like it's, I, I think this movie is, is great. I think it looks fantastic. I think it holds up to today. I think it looks better than a lot of movies that are mm -hmm. made today that use the same technology. Uh, so, I mean, this is a, gosh, I think this is probably a four and God, I'm cutting that baby in half, four and a half uh, cigar smoking babies uh, for me. What about you, Mary Beth? So I don't have the same nostalgia for this movie, obviously, as a lot of people do, but I really, really loved watching it. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. I feel like I had that dumb hipster thing. I'm like, I was going to be overrated, which is like, gross. I'm gross. <laughs> but um, I was thankfully not correct. And like, like you said, Terry, this movie is so much smarter than I could have anticipated in terms of how it tackles all different kinds of political issues and race and romance and relationships in a really fascinating way and mm -hmm. um bob hoskins gives an incredible performance and i love him especially at the end when he dances mm -hmm. and makes all of the weasels laugh until they die okay the, the weasel sorry the weasel that holds on to his soul trying to keep it oh, is, is one of my favorite parts tries to pull it back in oh my god no. i know um but i think i'm also gonna have to give this four and a half cigar-smoking babies out of five. Um, Danny, you have the final word. How many cigar-smoking babies do you give who framed Roger Rabbit? I am going to, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna give it all of its flowers that it's due. I'm going to give it all the cigars hand-wrapped, oh, yeah. hand-stuffed, <laughs> you know? Um, hand-stuffed, love it. Yeah, like, this movie is honestly a miracle. Like, this movie shouldn't exist. <laughs> Like, we're in the mm -hmm. timeline that this movie exists, that I feel like in another timeline it would have been too expensive, it would have been too difficult, the licensing, drawing it, getting all the actors involved, writing a script from that book that makes any kind of sense, any kind of coherent sense. <laughs> so, like, it's honestly a miracle that we have this movie, and it's mm -hmm. a testament to maybe others that want to try their hand at doing something like this. Um, that like a great, I don't know, a great rubric to follow, like what works, what doesn't work, when to pull either the humor back or the animation or this character, how to utilize them and everything else. So yeah, this movie's a miracle. I'm going to give it a five, a five out of five. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Cool. Uh, well, thank you so much, Danny, for joining us to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Where can our listeners find you? And what do you have coming up that you can share? Oh, great. Um, 
I'm so glad that you all had me on the show. It's really an honor. Um, I am only on Twitter, so if that's the only place you can tweet me. Um, at the Danny Buffet, uh, where the horror resides is like my main title. I don't think I'm ever going to change it because it's brilliant. You it can does. find me. Um, I have a, I have all my links to anything that I've ever written there. And coming up, Wink Wink with Dread Central, Mary Beth. She has something cooking um, over there for me. So stay tuned this Pride Month. Not sure when this episode's coming out, but be on the lookout for it anyway. Um, I'm going to keep that uh, thread that we talked about earlier as far as um, horror movies having this really interesting tether with like animals or the machine or humans being some kind of, I don't know, some kind of extreme something. I don't know. I've got to come up with a name for it. I, I usually, that's usually like half the battle. It's like, that's the fun part. Yeah. Getting all of my red string on my, uh, on, yeah, on my board to put all of my tin foily hat stuff together. So, <laughs> the best. But yeah, cool. stay tuned. Awesome. So, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You can send us an email at scribedforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Parr for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. Please take care of each other. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>